Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic. The year was 1917, and the world was having a grand old time in World War I. One of the countries probably having the best old time was Russia. After all, the Russian Empire had thrown something like 5 million men at the war, and only 1.8 million of them had died. In all seriousness, though, it was time for something to change in Russia, so you can cue the February Revolution. The finer details of the February Revolution aren't important for this story, except for these. The imperial system was toppled, with the entire imperial family executed, and in its place was propped a new form of government. This new dual system was a cooperation between the decidedly non-communist provisional government and the definitely communist Petrograd Soviet. Okay, so that's the big picture that we're working with today. Now let's zoom in. The Russian Empire, or the former Russian Empire, was very big, even bigger than Russia is today. By the time it fell, it was comprised of modern-day Russia, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Moldova, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, as well as parts of Poland, Ukraine, and Turkey. Today, we're going to focus specifically on the parts that are now Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, otherwise known as the Caucasus. Under the new dual government system, rule of the Caucasus fell under the provisional government, so they set up a new local government, the Special Transcaucasian Committee, to replace the old Caucasus Viceroyalty in March of 1917. The Special Transcaucasian Committee, or Ozakam as it was called in Russia, was made up of members from the three major ethnic groups, Azeri, Georgian, and Armenian, that would represent the Caucasus states at Parliament. This little local government sort of limped along for a while, until November 8th, when the Caucasians woke up to an interesting story in the morning paper. On the day prior, the Bolsheviks in St. Petersburg had attacked the provisional government in an armed coup and dissolved the dual power system. This was especially big news for the communists within the Caucasus, but maybe not in the way you imagine. You see, the communists in Caucasia tended to be of the Menshevik persuasion, which were a rival communist group to the Bolsheviks that had just enacted the coup. Add on the fact that the Bolsheviks were now claiming political supremacy throughout all of the Russian lands, and you get cause for rebellion. The Caucasians weren't especially keen on accepting the rule of ethnic Russian Bolshevik traitors, so the local Soviets and the Ozakam banded together to dissolve the Ozakam and replace it with the Transcaucasian Commissariat, which would stand united against Bolshevik power. This new quote-unquote government held very little power, but that was okay, it didn't need to. All it was designed to do was hold the Caucasus together until the anti-Bolshevik All-Russian Constituent Assembly could convene in January of 1918, at which time the assembly would issue further commands on how to resist Bolshevik incursions. However, if they were going to make it to January, they had to actually survive that long, because in the background of everything I've been telling you, 
World War I was still raging, and Russia was still at war with many of its neighbors, including the Ottoman Empire. This was especially problematic for the Transcaucasian Commissariat, because the Ottoman Empire was literally right there. Fortunately for them, Russia wasn't the only one having a hard time in the war. The Ottomans were fighting a war on multiple fronts, so they took advantage of the chaos in Russia by acknowledging the commissariat as a legal successor to the Russian Empire and signing an armistice with them on December 18th. This was great for everybody. The Ottomans had just closed one front of the war, and the Caucasians no longer had to worry about getting steamrolled by the Ottoman army before the Constituent Assembly could even meet. Then, on January 18th of 1918, the big day finally came. The Constituent Assembly convened at 4pm, and all day and into the next, they sat in discussion until 5am on the 19th, when the Bolsheviks busted in and dispersed them, illegally in the eyes of any dual-power supporters still out there, which included the Transcaucasian Commissariat. This was a sign that the Caucasus was going to have to take things into its own hands. Clearly, the Bolsheviks were a huge problem, and they couldn't live with it. By late February, the Commissariat had already established their own legislative body, called the Same, with Nikolai Shehezde, a Georgian Menshevik, at its head. About a dozen political parties were represented in the Same, but its 125 members were mostly comprised of three parties. The Social Democratic Party of Georgia, the Musavat Party of Azerbaijan, and the Armenian Revolutionary Federation, the three of which made up 89 of the 125 representatives. As you may have noticed, these three largest parties were also divided along ethnic lines, and you can consider this fact as foreshadowing. By the way, just before the same had been formed, the armistice with the Ottomans had been broken. The Ottomans blamed some Armenians for seeking out and killing Muslims, so the Caucasian Front was back in play for World War I. This anti-Armenian fervor didn't last forever, though, and the Ottomans soon returned looking to make peace. The same was invited to Trabzon, an Ottoman city, but just as they were making preparations to leave, it was announced to the world that the Bolsheviks had signed the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, removing them from the war and ceding large chunks of territory, including parts of the Caucasus, to the Ottomans. Obviously, this put a strain on their meeting with the Ottomans, who now had an arguable legal claim to Caucasian lands, but the delegation set out for Trabzon nonetheless. While they sat in the city waiting for the conference to actually start, the general of the Ottoman Third Army, which was the army that had been threatening the Caucasus for some time now, got up to some wacky antics. He sent out a request for the commissariat to remove all military personnel from the lands that had been signed over by the Bolsheviks, followed by a memo stating that the Armenians had once again been found guilty of hunting down Muslims and consequently the Third Army would be moving in for a peacekeeping operation. While the Commissariat definitely wasn't about to vacate their own lands, there was little they could do against the Ottoman attack in Armenia, so the Turks succeeded in capturing the city of Erzurum. 
While this certainly made for some tension, the Trabzon Peace Conference was actually quite amicable. The Turks urged the Caucasians to formally declare their independence from Russia and establish a unified system of government so that the two parties could continue on without any more red tape. As the delegates talked and talked, the Ottoman army continued moving further and further into Transcaucasian lands. With this leverage, the Ottomans stated that they would stop conquering the Caucasus if the same would officially acknowledge the cessions made to the Ottomans in the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. The Caucasians were basically forced to agree to this, but they asked that more of the world powers be represented at the peace talks, probably hoping that they would keep the Turks in check. At this request, the Ottomans sort of scoffed and implied that other foreign powers would not come to the table with an illegitimate and undeclared Caucasian government. This annoying little back and forth continued on for a little while longer until the Turks eventually tired of it and went all in. The new demand was that the contested lands be evacuated by April 13th, or the Ottoman Empire would take it by force from whatever weird little government existed there, independent or not. This news was outrageous to the same representatives back home, and anti-Ottoman pro-war rhetoric exploded within the legislature, especially among the Armenians, of course. The only parties hesitant to go to war were those of the Azerbaijanis, who were Muslim, much like the Ottomans were, but they were outvoted, and on April 14th, the same, representing a non-existent state, declared war on the Ottoman Empire. This war went about as well as you could expect. The Ottomans weren't the global superpower that they had once been, but they were certainly more powerful than the confused Transcaucasian government. By the time the sun set on April 14th, the same day that the war had been declared, the Turks had already conquered Batum, which was one-third of everything they were looking to conquer. Within another 11 days, the Ottomans had successfully taken most of what they wanted from the Caucasus. Fortunately for the same, World War I was still raging on the other side of Anatolia, so the Ottomans stopped themselves there and reached out for another truce on April 22nd. However, there was a stipulation to this truce. The Ottomans would only deal with an independent nation. At this point, you may be wondering why the Ottomans were pushing so hard for the Caucasus to officially declare themselves independent. Basically, the Turks were looking for any excuse to take land without violating the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. If they went and captured land that was still technically a part of Russia, that would violate the treaty. But, if the Caucasus declared independence from Russia, and the Ottomans recognized their independence, the treaty wouldn't apply, and they could conquer at will. Don't you just love geopolitics? So, as I said, the Ottomans would only talk peace with an independent nation. This sparked immediate and fierce debates in the same, but in the end it was the decision of the legislature to dissolve the Transcaucasian Commissariat and establish the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic, or TDFR on April 22nd of 1918. They then reached out to the Turks, who recognized them as legitimate, accepted their surrender of the conquered lands, and proceeded to continue conquering more Transcaucasian lands. 
things were rocky on the home front, too. By dissolving the commissariat at the same time they established their independence, the Transcaucasians had just created a newly independent state with no executive function. No one wanted to steer the ship of state alone, but with no cabinet, that's exactly what any prospective prime minister would have to do. With an invasion on their southern border and an unstable civil war to their north, the TDFR could not afford to float aimlessly, so a few days of bureaucracy ensued, after which an executive cabinet was established, at which time Akaki Shehen Kelly, a Georgian Menshevik, assumed the prime ministry. At his inaugural address to the same, Shehen Kelly made it clear that one of his primary goals would be to establish firm borders via agreements with the republic's neighbors. In pursuit of this aim, he then ordered the Armenians to stop fighting the Turks so that peace could once again be established. He also repeated the Transcaucasian wish to have some of the other central powers present at these peace talks, but the Ottomans once again just dismissed the request. Peace talks reopened on May 11th, this time in Batum, an area previously held by the TDFR but recently conquered by the Turks, so it was about as neutral ground as they were going to get. The Transcaucasians, knowing full well the Ottomans had no plans on bringing other powers to the negotiation table, had gone out of their way to bring the other powers themselves. Accompanying Shehen Kelly was Lieutenant General Otto von Lossau of the German Imperial Army. By the way, this is unrelated, but still interesting. Von Lossau would be one of the three leading Germans arrested by Adolf Hitler in the Beer Hall Putsch. This was some decades away, though, so back to our main story. To the Transcaucasians' surprise, the Ottomans actually had brought foreign powers with them. It just wasn't one of the central powers that the TDFR had been hoping for. Instead, the Turks brought a delegation from the mountainous Republic of the Northern Caucasus, another Russian breakaway state directly to the north of the TDFR that the Turks were actively supporting. The inclusion of this party was basically the Turks saying, not only are we beating you on your south border, we have people on your northern border too. You talk about passive aggression. Shehen Kelly was hoping to bring the Ottomans back under the terms of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, which would minimize Transcaucasian losses and prevent a complete conquest of their country, but the Turks were having none of it. According to them, they were at war with each other once again, so Brest-Litovsk had been nullified. Instead, the Turks brought a draft of their own treaty for Shehen Kelly to sign. This new surprise treaty would basically have the Transcaucasians sign over all of Armenia to the Turks, erasing a third of their entire country and population overnight. Obviously, this was a terrible deal for Shehen Kelly, but he couldn't just deny it on the spot. After all, if the Turks really wanted to, they could just take Armenia and the whole of the Caucasus, for that matter, by force. As the TDFR considered their options, the Turks resumed their invasion of the Armenian countryside, meeting the defenders in battle on a handful of occasions from May 21st to the 29th, but they were consistently repelled by the Armenians. Now, remember when I mentioned the presence of von Lossau? Well, this was the point that his involvement in the story became important. 
It was true that the Germans and the Turks were allies in the war, but this alliance had become increasingly weak as the war had dragged on. The Turks were not only violating the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, they were actively targeting Armenians, a Christian people, and were simultaneously blocking German strategic aims in West Asia. Therefore, when the Georgians looked around, saw the Armenians at war with the Turks, and the Azeris hesitant to do anything about it, it was to the Germans that they sent a message asking for their support in creating a Georgian state independent of the TDFR. By May 21st, the Georgian leadership felt confident enough in their ability to stand alone, so they announced their intentions more openly to the rest of the Republic. At this news, the same convened to discuss the future of the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic. With the Turks on the warpath with the Armenians, the Azeri hesitancy, and the new Georgian independence movement, it was pretty clear that their republic was looking at its final days. The same openly admitted this, so the Georgians met again in private the next day to draft their Declaration of Independence. These Georgians then met with von Lossau, but they were replied to with a pretty lukewarm answer. Von Lossau was only authorized by his government to communicate with the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic, so he had to return to Germany in order to get approval from the imperial system to work with the Georgians. So, so much for the German support that they had been hoping for. Nonetheless, the Georgians struck it out on their own. On May 26th, their leader, a man named Saratelli, denounced the Republic, blaming the Azerbaijanis especially for failing to come to the defense of the state, and then he motioned for the independence of Georgia, which was promptly accepted. Now the Transcaucasus was just made up of Armenia, which was facing active invasion, and Azerbaijan, which was refusing to aid its countrymen. In that same meeting of the same, it was decided that the Republic should be dissolved and the three peoples should go their own way. Two days later, the Armenians declared their own independence, followed quickly by the Azeris, and so by the 28th of May 1918, the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic no longer existed. Unfortunately, before the year was out, all three of the new states would be at war with each other, but that's a story for a different time. So, why was the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic forgotten? If you ask me, and you are asking me because you're listening to my show, I think it has a lot to do with the way the Republic is perceived not only now, but back then as well. The Caucasians were hesitant to declare their independence in the first place, and from the get-go it was at least a little clear to everyone that the Transcaucasus just wasn't going to last. Thus, even though the TDFR was a very real and functional state that went to war and engaged in diplomacy in its own right, nowadays it's seen more as a transitional period in Caucasian history rather than the state that it really was. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Feel free to leave a review if you enjoyed it, and follow me on Instagram at Forgot10Lands, that's the number 10. I also have a Twitter, but I've kind of abandoned it because it seems like Twitter is dead or dying. 
Uh, and otherwise, I hope to see you all again next week.